the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61 from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Pastor Joe Sutton uh, coming at you again with another episode of uh, Isaiah 61. And uh, today, we've been taking a little journey through Romans at my church in Bible study. And when you know how Romans can be real deep, I think we spent the whole whole session just on one verse, you know, looking at it and understanding, you know, what is God calling us to do? You know, last week I talked to you about fellowship and how important it was to come together and to, to be together. Um, in Romans 1, Paul Paul says something to them that, that's, that's really astounding to me. He said, I hope to be with you soon that I may impart unto you a spirit, spiritual gift. All right. So in other words, he couldn't impart this gift uh, long distance. He had to be uh, in their presence to impart this gift. And uh, Paul used letters to uh, to write to the people he had ministered to and to help them understand some sort of biblical doctrine. Uh, one of the things that we have to understand is that Paul was um, trying to help the Gentiles understand how to live out uh, a godly life. You know, and when the Jewish people left Egypt, God gave them a set of rules and and teachings to help them to monitor their life. Then this would be the way that his people would live. Now, you have to understand that after 400 years of living within a certain system, that pretty much they were Egyptian in their, in their mindsets and their eating habits and their patterns and everything like that. And God was laying out to them what it meant to be uh, a Hebrew, what it meant to be a follower of God. And they needed the, the tightness of the, the, the rules to understand that they could not please God anymore by living the Egyptian way. They had to change their whole way of thinking, their whole way of, of living even their whole way of, 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 of eating and depending on him. I mean, he asked them to depend on him for, for, for food, you know, on the seventh day, sixth day, he gave them twice as much. So the seventh day they have it. Uh, and you know, he got upset with them cause they didn't, they didn't believe him after all he had done for them, all the miracles he had done, uh, all the plagues he had before him, they still got out on the seventh day looking for something to eat and not to believe. And God was placing them under, what we would call the lifestyle of faith and obedience. You know, he wanted faith and obedience. He wanted them to believe him and he wanted them to obey him. And that's the same way he is today. 
And when Paul was in his letters, he was basically helping the Gentile people uh, learn how to walk in faith and obedience to God's word in light of the fact that they had been living a certain way for so many years uh, in the book of Acts as they were debating what they had the Gentiles do. Uh, you know, it was stood up and said by Peter, how can we expect them to follow something that we can't even follow? And we were raised in this thing. We were born into this thing and we still have trouble following it. And so when, when Paul took that mantle of, uh, of helping the Gentiles to, uh, to, to understand what it meant to please God, but yet still live a, a life, you know, not to be, be there. The, the pressure was really on. So we look at ourselves today uh, post-salvation, and when we get saved and we come into the kingdom, you know, we're still used to living a certain way. In our case, we pretty much follow, uh, you know, a, a, a Greco-Roman way, a, you know, a, a Western civilization way. And and then God in his word is trying to get us to to follow him, you know, not expecting us to, to really get it all in one day. That's what that thing called grace helps us to do. You know, it doesn't give us a license to ignore God's word. But what it does, though, it gives us a way to slowly walk into and walk into that lifestyle of faith and obedience and what we do and what we have. And, you know, and one of the things about Isaiah 61, I like to always give an, uh, an, an urban perspective on things. And, and being urban doesn't change the qualifications you have to follow in the Bible. But being urban does mean that you have a certain culture, a certain lifestyle that you're used to living. And, uh, and what I always tell people that, that our strong point at our church is helping people come out of uh, that that lifestyle of of uh, of just be basically living living in the streets. And the streets has its own code, its own culture, its own things that you do. And then now my job as pastor is to teach and disciple folks and let them know that this is how God wants you to live. And and it, it gets pretty. Um, Tricky. I want to say tricky when you get into a certain thing. We've come to the to realization that a lot of people need to come into and leave uh, the church or our ministry at least two to three times before it finally sticks that they have it. You know, you see someone come and they 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 get saved and they want to break away from whatever lifestyle that they're in, and uh, and they they go through this period of rejoicing and everything like that. And then when times may get a little tough uh, financially or something like that, they find themselves going back to uh, the way that they know that they know the way that they know how to, to survive what they, they know to do. And then next thing you know, they're, they're back, they're back entwined in sin again. And uh, you know, we see it, especially in a lot of reentry programs where, well, guys would we like to call have a jailhouse conversion where they they they're following the Lord and then when they get out, you know, then all the temptations around them and they walk away. You know, they walk away from God. You know, whether it's the 
the attraction of a female or drugs or, or, or fast money or whatever it may be, you know, those things, those things are strongholds and they have to, they have to be broken. You know what I mean? And I was explaining to my congregation that, that, um, Jesus said this about when he came off the Mount of Transfiguration and they could not cast out the, the demon from the boy. And he, and he looked at them and said, how long, you know, would you be this way? And they were wondering, master, why couldn't we cast out this, this spirit, this particular demon? And he says, some only come out by prayer and fasting. And I asked a question to, to my congregation, how many of you are fasting and praying? You know, because there's some people out there that have some strongholds in their life that can only be broken by fasting and praying. And if we're not fasting and praying and then we run up on them and, you know, we could quote scripture till we're, till we're blue in the face. I, I won't get into details, but very young in my ministry career, I was working with uh, an, an, a youth organization, Youth for Christ. And uh, one of our, we was on our training weekend and one of our trainers had a demonic problem. And, uh, and man, it was, you know, the, we have been grabbed the elder statesman and he started reading scriptures to it and that didn't work. And, um, and then I was praying over it, trying to remember what I'd seen my mentor do in those situations. And I ended up getting taken authority and he calmed down and then he threw up this stuff out of his mouth and, and, uh, and right on the bed and the guy, it was the one of the guys bed, the hotel room we were in. He was like, Oh, why you had to throw up on my bed? And then when we got to a certain point in the process, I did not know what to do, right? You know, because I ran up on a, a spirit that I was struggling with myself. And, you know, and I, it, it wasn't like I had been fasting and praying. And, well, anyway, you know, the guy ended up leaving our room. And when we checked the bed, the stuff wasn't there. It had went back into his mouth, you know what I mean? And, and I know it sounds kind of gross and I won't give all details to it, but, but, uh, it had went back into his mouth and basically it took this guy maybe another six months before he finally found, he finally found deliverance. He finally found that it was there. And, 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 and that deliverance was an active ministry of Jesus. He did it all the time. And though not all of us are called to that, you know, we have to understand that some do not come out suffer by fasting and prayer. And when you're dealing with somebody that has a heroin addiction, uh, crack cocaine addiction, uh, that's been uh, game banging and robbing and selling drugs their whole life, and then all of a sudden now you come up there and, and, and try to introduce them to Jesus, you better be ready to fast and to pray. And, and not that, that, that any other area, any other culture in our society is exempt from this, you know what I mean, because... It's just that we know how to hide it better, you know, in a, in a upper income, uh, bracket, you know, we, we have insurance that will let us go to some drug rehabilitation place. And how many times have we seen people go to drug rehabilitation place? I don't care if it's Betty Ford and come back out. And then six months to a year later, they're back into what they were into again, because some only come out by prayer and by fasting. And, and, and what I try to get people to understand is that, 
you know, everybody's always, why there are always so many small churches in the urban context? You know, so many small churches, because really one of the reasons is, and I know I can tell you the reason why ours is because, you know, we can only handle no more than two, maybe three people at a time and trying to walk them through the discipleship process. Because, you know, when I have to set my phone, you know, to know when somebody gets paid so that I can intercept them and get them to do the right thing with the paycheck instead of being tempted to take the paycheck and go out there and blow it all at the bar or blow it all at the at the drug house or or anything like that, you know, or when a situation comes up where a person feels they're not being respected or something may happen and you try to talk them out that they don't need to go grab, they don't need to grab their guns, <laughs> they don't need to go out into the street, they don't need to call the boys, they don't need to call that. And and and, and, and that's a stronghold. I mean, it, it really is because cause I, I could tell you my own personal uh, story is that it took me literally almost three years before, you know, of, of intense discipleship before, that those ties, those soul ties to my friends could be broken. And uh, I remember the night that I knew I was free or the morning I knew I was free. I was back in Chicago, you know, where, you know, and uh, where in my neighborhood, you know, everybody knows me, you know, everybody knows everything there. I'm kind of like a hero because I got out. I went to college. Uh, got say went into ministry, you know, uh, everybody used me as an example that what they wish their kids would do. And I, but I'm down there one night loading up my car, but not night, it's five, five in the morning. And I see about 50 guys walking down the street. And the young man I had with me that I was mentoring, he looked at me and said, man, should we go in the house? You know, it looks, I said, I said, if it's 50 guys in this neighborhood, I said, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, they're not going to do nothing no, to me. And so when they got up there, they, you know, I, of course, I knew them all, and they looked at me and said, "Hey, Joe, man, um, we got a role. Are you with us, right?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm not with you." They said, "Tommy got shot, and we got to go up here, and we got to do this." And I said, "I said, man, y'all not paying attention." I said, "I said the police are forming a, a net, man." And I said, "You know, my advice to y'all is to go home." And it was like, no, we're not going home, man. You're not with us, man. Come on, you always roll with us. You know, help help us out. And I said, no, nah, not this time. You know, and I got in my car and drove off and felt no remorse. You know, the year before, I would have been remorseful. I would have went along with it. I would have asked God to cover me. I would have, and knowing I can't be asking God to cover me in such foolishness, but I would have asked him to, to go out there because, you know, those were my guys, you know, those guys, man, they fought with me. Uh, they stole with me and, you know, we were close, but now they're not my guys anymore. You you got to come to the realization that, that, that I'm in the kingdom now, you know, and when we look at the, the journey through the wilderness that the Jewish people faced, you know, they always had to face the fact that they weren't Egyptian. And every time they murmured and complained, they always referenced Egypt. If we were in Egypt, we'd have this. If we were in Egypt, we'd have that. They were still, Egypt was still their source. It was still their, their reference point. And, and, and let's understand this. 
one day a week is is not going to get anybody to to understand you know what it means to to, to follow God or what it means to uh to, to do anything that he would have us to do so as we get to this point after the break uh, we'll come in and just tell you ways that we can break these strongholds in our life all right God bless I'm blinded by your grace I'm blinded by your Lord I've been broken Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community. Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. Dr. Michael Youssef. We live in a time where the truth has become a victim of political correctness. That the truth is being drowned for the sake of avoiding criticism. But for those who walk with God, fear not. We have no reason to fear. Passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth on Leading the Way. Weekdays at 6.30 on AM 980 The Mission. Back to Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit of Lord Church. I'm Pastor Joe Sutton, and um, I'm talking about uh, making that transition and help discipling people to break the strongholds in their life. You know, uh, you know, one thing that was an eye opener to me, as far as strongholds was concerned, is that while I was doing, I was in Houston, Texas, working with young people, and I was the chaplain for juvenile probation for Harris County. So I saw a lot of things, talked to a lot of people. Uh, you know, just did a lot of things. And then my buddy came to me and said, Joe, can you help me uh, on Monday nights with, with my, uh, with my Bible study group? And I said, I said, yeah, I, I can help you. I, Monday nights is free. And so I started working with him out in an area of Houston called Sugarland. Money, 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 money. I mean, these kids are driving up in Bible study in cars better than mine. Uh, one girl asked me for a prayer request one time. She was bawling. You know, this is 1983, and her mother bought her a 79 Mustang, and she's like, how can I drive this to school? You know, just so I can't believe she did this to me. And I'm looking at her like, man, I would have took a 62 Mustang, you know, I mean, if when I was in high school. I said, you know, just as long as that thing rolled. And, uh, but in her world, it was a tragic thing that was happening, and it was there. And uh, and I prayed with her, and I learned something in those four years I volunteered in that Bible study is that sin is sin. It may have a different manifestation. Some of those kids, man, had access to money unlimited. You know what I mean? They, they had their own credit cards. Uh, they got big buck weekly allowance, and they used the money to, to buy drugs. Uh, the biggest ecstasy dealer in the city uh, was in that high school. Uh, their parents had big bars and hardly ever were there. Dad's traveling all the time, making money. Mom's doing civic events. So basically, they were no different than the kids 
in an urban context I was ministering to didn't have a father because he was absent, right? They didn't really have a mother who cared. She was in her own world. And I started noticing the similarities. And though I would, I would have taken the big house and the cars and the money to, 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 to be wrapped up and sent in, but it didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter what the wrapping looked like. It was still sin and bondage. And that's one thing that we have to understand that that person battling a drug addiction in the urban context is no different than the person battling a drug addiction in the suburban context, you know, or corporate context, anything is there. It's sin is sin. It, it may come wrapped in a different package, but it's still sin and it still needs to be broken. And the process still needs to be the same if you really want to help this person change. You know what I mean? And so the thing about it is, is that, that number one, because some people have access to, to better treatment options or have access to different ways to prolong their habit. You know, uh, we had a guy in my neighborhood. He'd been a heroin addict for like 28 years, right? And, uh, you know, because there wasn't enough stuff to steal in our neighborhood for him to have a 1500 day, $3,000 habit a day. You know, whereas I ministered to people with $3,000, $4,000 day habits, you know what I mean? You know, because they could they could get it, you know, because of, because of where they were and what they were doing. They could they could get that kind of money and have that kind of a habit and therefore burn out kind of quicker. And but the first thing I've noticed in my in my in my trials of dealing with people, you know, who need to be set free from Egypt and need to be walked through the wilderness to the promised land is that one, there has to be availability. You have to be available, you know. One saying praise the Lord on Sunday and not seeing them till the next Sunday, it ain't going to get it because their mind is going to get bombarded all week long, uh, you know, about certain things that, you know, man, don't you really want this? Don't you really want that? You really want to drink? You really want this? And you have to be available to be there with God's answer for them. You have to be available. You know, God stayed as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Uh, and he was always available for Moses when Moses had a problem with things like that. And he backed Moses up. But the people always saw God was there. And then we have to make sure that we are available. It, 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 this may stress some people out who only want to do churchy stuff twice a week. But, you know, if you really want to help somebody be free, you have to be available to them because they need to see you walk out this Christian commitment. They need to see it. They, you know, I brought people into my home. I brought families into my home, you know, so they could see, you know, how a man treats his wife in a Christian context. How does he raise his kids? How do they eat dinner together? You, you have to be available so that people can see that's number one. And most importantly, because they're looking to you, you know, you're the, the greatest example of who who Jesus is. So I don't care whether you're in a $50,000 home or $500,000 home. You have to be available for them to see how to live out this Christian commitment. Number two, right? A nice, steady diet in the word of God. The word of God has to become the compass. It has become the reference point of everything that goes on. It can't be personal opinion. Because then they'll they'll come up with every reason in the world and why they're justified in doing what they do. 
but it has to be the word of God. You have to have a steady diet of the word of God. And number two, you got to teach them how to pray. You got to teach them how to pray because there's times when you're not going to be there. There's times when, when, when they are there, they need to learn how to call upon the name of the Lord. And that means that you have to spend time with them, praying with them. Uh, the best thing I would suggest to anyone is get people involved in a, in an intercessory prayer group. And, uh, and then, you know, it's just fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. That's why last week I was talking about the importance of fellowship because it bleeds over in helping new believers understand, you know, how to apply scripture to their life. You know, those 612 or 22 laws that they were given, you know, they still had to learn how to apply those things to their life, why they had any meaning, you know, what was the purpose of pointing them. Otherwise they weren't going to follow them. You know what I mean? And last but not least, it got to, it, it has to be joyful. It can't be strainful. It has to be joyful. You know, you have to minister in the joy of the Lord. You have to keep them in the joy of the Lord. And then when setbacks come, you don't condemn. You just reassure, you hug, and you bless. You know, that's what I've learned from my years of ministry. And that's what I want to pass on to you. And we'll talk more about this next week. God bless you.